prayer. Lord, thank you again, God. We do come to worship you, Lord, and we come to exalt your name, Lord, as you are our Lord and our God. And Lord, you are Jehovah Nani, Lord. You are the Lord, our victory. And, and God, I pray you give us victory tonight in our own lives, and our own heart, as you free us from the weakness of the flesh, Lord. Free us from habitual sin, God. Speak to our hearts, Lord, and may tonight be the night that we are released, Lord. And God, I, I pray that you would, you would change me, Lord. Change us all as you go deeper into our hearts. Lord, as you, as you pull out those things that shouldn't be there, God, that you would raise us up into new life by the power of your resurrection. And so I ask, God, for your touch and your Holy Spirit tonight. And I ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Hey, I want to play this audio for you. It's, it's, it's a soundbite of the world's loneliest whale. So just give a, a little listen to this. Now, the sound you heard of this whale sped up a little bit because normally it's down lower at uh, this particular whale at 52 hertz. Since 1899, this whale, and the picture up there isn't that whale either because they've never seen this whale. Since 1989, this whale has been a voice basically in the wilderness of the ocean. Um, it's been tracked along the, the west coast of North America. And the whale is known as the world's loneliest whale because this whale keeps calling at, at the frequency of 52 hertz, which is higher than what normal, they believe, a, a bluefin whale this is, uh, normally will do its call out. Normally, the, the bluefins will do around 15 to 29 hertz, which is pretty low on the frequency scale. And even 52 is too, but it's higher than the normal whale. So they speculate that since most whales are at the lower end, no one's listening or hearing this whale at 52 hertz. Matter of fact, they call this whale 52 hertz now because of that. And so because this whale is never heard by other whales, it's, he's made into this lonely romantic out there. There's been songs, a film, um, even a crowdfund on Kickstarter has been made to, to uh, raise some money to go find this a uh, certain unseen, unknown whale. And so this whale is just interesting to me. There's this one whale out there. He's this lone voice calling out in this vast ocean. Now I think about that because, you know, as Christians, as us today speaking the word of God, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, you know what? You and I, we are becoming a lone, lone voice in the ocean of the world, really. As things get darker, as the world keeps spinning and things are changing in our society, we, you know, what we know of truth and who Jesus Christ is, we're becoming that lone voice in this wilderness of the world. But you know what? We need to make people hear. We need to be a voice for Jesus Christ. One hymn writer, Albert Midlane, once wrote this, Revive thy work, O Lord, thy mighty arm make bare. Speak with the voice that wakes the dead and make thy people hear. 
I believe God is calling us, you and I, to be a voice in the wilderness of this world that we live in. And I pray today, tonight, as we get into our passage, that God would stir our hearts up. That he would literally, like, like well in us a fire and a passion to be that voice in this world. You see, as we return to our verse-by-verse study here in the book of Luke, here we learn about John the Baptist, he's called, right? And how he came on the scene, and he was that voice crying in the wilderness, in the spiritual wilderness of Israel. So the title of our message tonight is The Voice in the Wilderness. The Voice in the Wilderness. And it's actually part one. I was trying to squeeze all this into one message, but it wasn't coming together. So we're going to do a part one with this. We're going to be studying Luke chapter 3 from verse 1 through 14. Next time we'll we'll finish off with John the Baptist from 15 through 20. But this is part one. And our outline is this. We're going to see John's mission. John's message, and next time we're going to see John's motive and finish up with part two next time. But let's begin here. Number one, John's mission. John's mission. And here in Luke chapter three, in this first part, we're going to cover verses one through six. But let's take a look at verse one and two, first of all. It reads here, verse one, Chapter 3 of Luke. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being governor of Judea, and Herod, being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitas, and Lysanus, tetrarch of Abilene. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And we'll stop right there. So we begin here, and what we find here is when John the Baptist came on the scene. So Luke, remember, he's writing this. Luke's a doctor. He's, he's a pretty like logical, detailed guy. So he's putting in here when this happened, when John came on the scene. And it says here, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. So this particular Caesar of the Roman Empire, John came on during his 15 year, which dates this at 28 AD. So actually it's been about 30 years now since John was born and Jesus also was born uh, since we saw that in Luke chapter 1. Now at the same time when, when Tiberius Caesar, he was the head of Rome, Pontius Pilate, and we know his name, right? And we're going to come to his name more in the, the, the Gospel of Luke. Well, Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea. Now, understand when it says governor here that it, it really talks about he's the governor, kind of more a military governor. I mean, he, he's, he's, he's a Roman official here. He's in charge of the Roman army stationed there in Judea. And at the same time, Herod, it says here in verse 1, being tetrarch of Galilee. Now, Herod, this is Herod Antipas. That's his, his technical name. There's different Herods, and his father was Herod. Well, his father had sons, and one of the sons was Antipas, but he's called Herod here, Herod Antipas, and he was tetrarch. Now, tetrarch is actually, it, it means uh, uh, one of four rulers, basically. 
And, and you can see with Pontius Pilate and Herod Detector, one of the other rulers, and so his other brothers are going to be named here. Well, Herod here was, he was the ruler basically of Galilee, the northern part of Israel. Pontius Pilate was the southern part of Israel, Judea. But understand, even though Herod was this ruler over the area, he was really under Rome, and he was kind of more under Pontius Pilate, the governor there too. So I don't know, in my mind, it makes more sense to say he was like the mayor, you know, of that region. And so his brothers mentioned here, and Philip was Tetrarch of the region of Eturia and Traconitus, which is uh, east of the Jordan River, kind of on the eastern end in that uh, Israel section. And the other brother, Lysanias, was Tetrarch of Abilene, which is northwest of Damascus, which today would be in the area of Syria. So these were the guys who were in control and rule at the time when John the Baptist came on the scene. I was thinking it, it could be like today you would say, oh, well, you know, when, when the prophet came on the scene, uh, Ige was governor, you know, and Victorino, Michael, you know, Victorino, he was the mayor of Maui, and you can name the other mayors and all of that. So that's the idea to, Luke is giving the setting of who was in rule at the time when John the Baptist came on the scene. Now, he mentioned someone else, two other people in verse 2. He mentions it. John the Baptist also came on the scene during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. Now that's interesting because normally in Jewish law there's only one high priest. But we see two are mentioned here. And what happened in the history is Annas was the high priest. But, but Rome didn't like him. They actually had him step down and brought in one of his sons. Several of his sons became high priests. And Caiaphas is actually the son-in-law son of Annas. So so, but what happened was even though Rome said, no, you're not going to be high priest, we don't like it, you know, we're going to make you step down, Annas never really did. He was like, like the, the real head, and Caiaphas was there, yeah, he's like the official, you know, face of the high priest, but the guy pulling the strings was really Annas. So Luke mentions both of them here. And as we get into the book of Luke, we're going to learn that Annas, Caiaphas, the high priest, their family, they're like, a, like the syndicate that was running the whole show at the temple at that time. So Luke mentions these two. So, so when these rulers were ruling, were, were Tiberius Caesar, Herod guys, and then Annas, and, and Caiaphas was there. During that time, it says in verse 2, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias. Zacharias. So the word of God came, meaning this message of God came to John for John to give, and he became a prophet for the land of Israel at that time. That's what it's talking about. Now it's mentioned here, this is John, the son of Zechariah. Remember Zechariah and Elizabeth, the elderly couple back in chapter 1 we read about, who, you know, God miraculously, Elizabeth got pregnant, and this is John the Baptist, as we call him. And so this is John. This is the John we're talking about. Now, some scholars, they speculate that perhaps, remember, um, Zechariah and Elizabeth were, were elderly in their age, right? Some speculate that, well, when, when John grew up and when, when um, they passed away, probably because they were already pretty old, that John went out to live in the wilderness. And when we talk about the wilderness here, it's talking about the barren land where, where nobody lives. It's talking about out there, you know, living off the land, all that kind of thing. So we see here that John starts speaking, speaking out for God in 
the wilderness. And, and I think that's so appropriate because at this time, the spiritual climate in Israel was like a wilderness. It was barren. They're, they were spiritually low, hardly any spiritual thing. And they're spiritually and morally, you can say, in the wilderness, the, the, the nation of Israel. And I, I think it's so appropriate that, that we see John coming up and speaking out in the wilderness because when he speaks to Israel, it's like he's speaking to them in that spiritual desert, in that wilderness. Well, when John came on the scene, he spoke like an Old Testament prophet. He, he looked like this Old Testament prophet. Matter of fact, in Mark, Matthew chapter 3, verse 4, it says he was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. And we know his food was what? Locusts and wild honey. That, that's what he lived on. But what's interesting is in 2 Kings 1.8, Elijah wore, wore this furry thing in a le- leather belt. So he came out looking like this prophet. He came out speaking like a prophet. And remember, this was 400 years of silence from Malachi 4 to when John started speaking. It was 400 years of silence here. And now God is speaking. Well, look at verse 3 now. It goes on and Luke writes, And he went into all the region around the Jordan. And that's where he was. Remember, he baptized in the Jordan River. He proclaimed baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So what we see here, this is his mission. This is John's mission. God sent him out in the wilderness area around the Jordan River to water baptize people as a symbol of repentance to God so that they would receive the forgiveness of God for their sins. So this is John's mission here and this is what he went out and did to bring people to this place of, of for repentance and find that forgiveness. And, you know, I have to say what we see here, this is God's heart, you guys. This is God's heart. He's not like, hey, you didn't tell the line. Sorry, that's it. God's heart, his love for us is to forgive. But he needs the people to repent. To, to Repentance means what? To turn away from sin and turn to God. It's a 180 that you do, a U-turn. And that's what God, that's what He desires, that we come and confess our sins and repent, say what they really are, be real with the Lord. And God's heart is for us to forgive us. And this is God's heart. We, we see John the Baptist, I mean, we'll see he's a straight shooter, but it's God's heart to bring people back to Him. He could have left Israel in that wilderness, that spiritual wilderness, but he didn't. He reached out with this voice in the wilderness. You know, I think about God's heart in 1 John 1, 9. You guys know what that says, right? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to what? Forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's God's heart. You guys, that's the Lord's heart. And I want to say to you tonight, if, if, if you're struggling with something, if, if you're wondering, well, oh, God, I don't know, maybe he doesn't love No, he loves you. And he wants you to come to him, to confess and repent of your sins because he wants to bring you back to him. So here's John. This is his mission to water baptize people. That's why John the Baptist, right? And to, as a, a show, as a symbol of repentance and to bring forgiveness in their lives. So take a look at verse 4 now. 
As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways. Verse 6, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. So here's John. He comes on the scene. He comes with his mission now, John's mission, to bring the baptism of repentance and the forgiveness of sins. And it's all because it's been written, it's been prophesied in the words of Isaiah. Now this comes from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 5. Luke is quoting here. So he quotes here, the voice of one crying in that wilderness. And that's our title, right? The voice in the wilderness. Here's John in the wilderness Literally, but crying out to the spiritual wilderness as prophesied that this prophet would come. Well, it's being fulfilled right here. And Isaiah writes what this prophet will do. So he's calling on wilderness and he's, he is to prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. The NLT puts this clear the road. That he's to prepare the way of the Lord and clear the road. What is he preparing? He's preparing the road for the Messiah to come. So as you know, John the Baptist is the forerunner to the Messiah. That's what he's known for. John the Baptist, he's a forerunner, like the car or the truck. (laughs) The forerunner, right? Now back then, uh, in ancient times here, a forerunner, a person like John the Baptist... They would go and prepare and clear the road for the coming king. So this was exactly what was normally done for a king, but this is done for the Messiah in a spiritual way. And so the prophet Isaiah goes on and with Luke quoting in verse 5, he says, every valley shall be filled. In other words, all the potholes will be filled in. And then he says, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. So any bump in the road is going to be made flat and prepare the way for the king, for the Messiah to come. And, verse 5, and the uh, crooked shall become straight. So anything crooked is going to be made straight. And the rough places shall become level ways. And I just picture, you know, like over there by Malaya, yeah, they're repaving yeah, the road there. So it's like, Oh, that's making everything, all the rough patches, making it all level. I wish they'd do that more up country here in Pukalani especially, right? But, but that's what the forerunner does. And this is John the Baptist spiritually doing this and preparing hearts for the coming of the Messiah. And then verse 6, all flesh, everyone, then they will see and receive the salvation of God, and that is Jesus Christ, the King who is coming. So this is the, the, the mission of John the Baptist. He comes on the scene right before the Messiah, prepared a path of hearts to receive him. Now, at this time, as I've been mentioning, Israel is, is, is really stuck in this, this wilderness of sin. There is no hope. They haven't heard from God directly for 400 years. They're just going their way. The, the religious leaders are leading them astray. We're going to see more about that. And they're just in this lostness. Well, John comes to bring hope. They know God loves you and salvation is coming. You need to prepare your, your heart. And you know what? 
the voice in the wilderness was symbolic, really, the wilderness to what God did in bringing Israel out of the wilderness into the promised land. So all this is coming together. All this is a picture of the Lord working in this nation right now. And so God will bring through the Messiah, well, the people of Israel, out of the spiritual wilderness into the spiritual promised land, which is salvation in Jesus Christ. So John's mission, this is what we see, was to clear the heart of obstacles that keep you from receiving Jesus Christ. That's John's mission. John's mission was to clear the heart of obstacles that keep you from receiving Jesus Christ, to prepare that way. Uh, years ago, I don't know if you remember, there was that big storm. And at that time, years ago, we lived in Paia and Skill Village, and, and there was that bad storm. I remember uh, Colleen Lane, and he goes, wow, Pukalai, it's, it's like, I've never seen it like this. It's like a river running down the road. And you know what? Baldwin was like that, too. I remember driving out, and I was going to go up Baldwin from Paia, and it was like this river, you know, just flowing, and all this debris and everything coming down, and there was no way I could, I could go up the mountain that way. I had to go around. And there's just debris you couldn't go up. Well, there's obstacles and de- debris and things like that that will stop people from coming to Jesus Christ. And John's mission was to prepare the way and clear those obstacles, to clear the heart of obstacles that keep the people from Jesus Christ. And that's what was John was called to do, to clear the unbelief, to clear the sin. Listen, you and I are like John the Baptist. You and I are like today. We are to be that voice, as I mentioned, in the wilderness of this dark world today. We are, you guys. Think about it this way. Jesus Christ is coming soon, isn't he? I mean, did you see in the news recently, the UAE, the United Arab Emirates, right, made a, a peace deal with Israel. Historic. It was never before in that manner. And I was reading an article that several other small states and Arab countries are going to be joining in, most likely because the UAE did that and, and all of Saudi Arabia. And what the interesting thing to me with that is, is that all fits in the prophecy in Ezekiel 38, 39 of how these states are not part with Iran or Turkey to come down and attack Israel. And we see more and more Turkey is pulling away from the West and joining hands more with Iran and all and Russia. And it's coming soon, you guys. And I believe right before that is the rapture of the church. And I believe Jesus Christ is coming soon. And so more than ever, we need to be that voice in this dark world in this wilderness to shine the hope and love of Jesus Christ, to clear the way for people to receive them, clear the debris and obstacles there, to show them the truth of God, to show them who Jesus Christ is and the hope we have in Him. I'll tell you, today more than ever, especially in this pandemic and this uncertainty, people desperately need to hear the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, there are obstacles in people's heart in receiving, fully receiving Jesus Christ. I mean, fully receiving the salvation of Christ. And let me give you three things here. Number one is sin, of course, right? Sin is an obstacle to Jesus. And that's why uh, John the Baptist is out there, right? Repentance. It's sin. I mean, not only do the consequences of sin I mean, mess things up, but sin separates you from God, right? 
A holy God cannot have sin in, in His presence. Sin in a Christian's life, it breaks our relationship with Him. We can be restored, First John 1, 9, right? But people who have not been atoned of their sins in Christ Jesus, they still have that problem. That's why John is, would speak of this, of repentance, of coming to God, that sin issue there. Sin blocks us in that relationship and connection with God. Matthew Henry once said, this uh, old uh, commentator back in the 1800s, he wrote, sinners willfully lose God for a, f- uh, 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 for a friend. Sinners lo- willfully lose God for a friend. And so think about 400 years, this nation drifted away into sin, drifted away into God, had not heard from God yet. God is reaching out through John the Baptist. There's a second thing that is an obstacle that keeps you from Jesus. And number two is thinking doing works helps. Thinking that you can do good works and that's going to help you get right with God. The, The thing is, that doesn't work. There is no good work, no effort that you can do that will atone for your sin. That will have you make you accept, accepted by God. At this time, the people in Israel taught, they were taught wrongly by the Pharisees and the religious leaders that, well, hey, you know, we're holy, we're better than you, we do good things, you guys are no good. And maybe you'll attain to be, uh, be able to go to heaven, be part of the kingdom of God. Maybe God will accept you. These guys are saying that. So people were under that oppression and the legalism put upon them by the religious leaders. And so they're thinking, well, if, if I do good enough, then, then I, can, I, can, I, I can be accepted by God. But you know, we know the truth, right? You can never do good enough to erase your sin. Just one drop poisons you and destines you for judgment. Just one drop. And no one is sinless here. That's why we need Jesus. Do you understand? Just the truth of salvation is that His righteousness is given to us because He forgives us and cleanses us of our sin. That's how it works. It's not what we do. Remember what Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says? For by grace you are saved by what? Faith, right? For by grace you've been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's not about you or being self-righteous at all. It's about the gift of salvation. God gives you the righteousness He gives you. So it's nothing that we work for, right? Salvation is Purely Jesus Christ. So that's an obstacle. And that's what Jesus is going to come and bring to. And so, so John's beginning to clear these things out. So sin, thinking, doing works helps. And lastly, guilt and shame. That can be an obstacle. Guilt and shame. But there is a place for forgiveness. And the baptism of John was bringing that along. You see... We can be so weighed down with our past sins, we feel like there's no hope. Yeah? Like, you know what? God's probably done with me, and, and I, might as well, I might as well just give up, crawl under a rock, and that's it. But Jesus died on a cross, rose again from the dead, so we can be forgiven, so that we can be atoned for our sins, and that 
He rose again from the dead. So we can now have that new life in Christ. That we can live for Christ because He rose again from the dead. And we can be new creations. We can really live for Christ. But that guilt and shame can weigh us down to the point where like, we don't like try anymore. Yeah? We don't like do anything anymore. But that's not true. God is not done with you. If you know what salvation is in Jesus Christ, you know there's hope. You know, I've been thinking about this and kind of dwelling on this, even in my own kind of struggle sometimes with regret and, and guilt or shame. You know, sometimes it's like, I got to get that out of my mind, you know. Um, I was just reading the other day in our daily reading about we shouldn't have the mind of the flesh, but the mind of the spirit. And it was really speaking to me about, you know, I can't let these things live in my mind. I got to believe in what the scriptures say and what Jesus has done for me. And then uh, there's, there's this one song by Lauren Daigle. You guys know this song, uh, Still Rolling Stones? And it's, I think, the first track on there is a big hit, right? But I don't know if you ever really looked at the words. You know, if you get a chance, look at the words. But let me read to you the bridge of this song. And it goes along with what I'm talking about. The bridge says this, I thought that I was too far gone for everything I've done wrong. Yeah, I'm the one who dug this grave. But you called my name. You called my name. And it just hit my heart. Like, I thought I was done for, yeah? Because everything I done, I dug my own grave. Yeah, it's my fault. Yeah, I know everything, right? But you called my name. It's like Lazarus. Call, Jesus calling Lazarus' name and coming out of, you know, the, the, the tomb there. And the bridge goes on. It says, and and. All at once I came alive, this beating heart, these open eyes. The grave let go, the darkness should have known, you're still rolling stones. Isn't that awesome? Just as the stone was rolled and Jesus came out of the grave, so he does for us, you guys. The power of the resurrection. And that's the hope. Those are the things that, that can be an obstacle in our hearts to really receiving Jesus Christ. So how about you tonight? Are there any of those things that are obstacles for you to fully understand what salvation is in Christ? The hope that we have and the life that we have in Christ Jesus. And if you understand that, then you understand that we got to be a voice in this dark world. We got to be a voice to bring this hope to people in this world who need Jesus so much. And like John, we should carry his mission to clear the heart of obstacles that keep people from Jesus Christ. Let that be our mission. Let us be the voice in the wilderness. All right, let's go on to number two, John's message. John's message. See the voice in the wilderness, John's mission. And now number two, John's message. Now, we're going to be covering... Uh, verse 7 to verse 14, the rest of our section tonight. But take a look at verse 7 and 8 first. It says, And he said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. We'll stop there. Now, now, 
Here, Luke writes, he said, this is his message. We saw his mission, right, to baptize people into repentance and find forgiveness of sin. Well, here's his message. The crowds came to him to be baptized, and here's his message. He says, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? (laughs) Pretty straight up here. Now, Matthew chapter 3, verse 7, tells us that he was really speaking to the the Pharisees here, the religious leaders, and this is what he was. He was calling them for their hypocrisy. They were vipers. In other words, they were hypocrites. They tell the people to do one thing, but they they wouldn't do it themselves. He would tell them, you better do this, or God's not going to like you. And yet, in their own heart, they were doing things just like that. So they were snakes. They were these vipers who, who just did things for, to gain power, money, notoriety, and all of that. So he calls them vipers. And he's like, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? In other words, are you really here to repent? Are you really here because you, you, because you know judgment is, is coming? And so he calls them for who they are. And along in these ways, this way, he's calling people to repent of their sin and not be hypocrites, but to really be true and genuine before the Lord. And how does he say that? Well, in verse 4, this is the message. If you really want to key in the message, John says in verse 8, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Bear fruits, like, like take action, bring out in your life action, uh, do something that is consistent with repentance. Remember what repentance is? Turning away from your sin and turning to God. Doing a 180. So do the action. Take action that is consistent, that shows you're really a repentant person before God. You're really turning from sin. So his message is bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And he says, you know, don't say, hey, we're, we're Abraham's children. So a lot of these Jews are saying, well, we're descendants of Abraham. And, and so we're okay with God. And he's saying, you know what? That's nothing to God. It doesn't mean anything. He can make anybody an Abraham's descendant. What matters to God is if you really confess and repent of your sins. That is what he's saying here. It'd be like today, like uh, I remember talking to someone a long time ago and um, asking a, a, a young girl, asking her, oh, um, uh, I... I you know, are you Mormon? I was wanting to try and witness to them. And this is her answer. She said, well, my mom's a Mormon, um, so I must be a Mormon. That, that's the thought. Yeah, it's like saying, well, I was born in Christian family, so I must be a Christian. No, that's not how it works. It, it works with your own relationship with God and your own belief in Jesus Christ. So John is saying, look, true repentance shows a tr- changed life. Then he goes on in verse 9. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So what is he saying? He's saying, you know, even now the axe is about to cut this tree down that is not bearing good fruit. That is not bearing fruits of repentance. And you know what? I believe he's talking to the nation. I think he's talking to the nation of Israel that soon... God's judgment is going to fall. He's warning them it's the time to repent and show that fruit of repentance is right now because God's going to be moving sooner than you think. And you know what? Almost 40 years from this time on, remember John came on the scene, John the Baptist, and then right after that we're going to see Jesus comes on the scene. And Jesus is about 30 years old, so John and Jesus are about the same age. 
Well, in 70 AD, almost 40 years later, while Jesus did ministry for three years and then died on the cross and rose again, almost 40 years after that, the Jews rebelled, the Romans came in and destroyed the temple. And no more temple to this day. Their whole way of life changed. Think about it. No more priests, no more sacrifices, no more going to Jerusalem for the feasts, you know, Passover and all that. Everything changed. I believe God was speaking of that, that that judgment was going to fall upon the nation in that sense. So then verse 10, it says, um, And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. So the people asked, Okay, what do we do? If we need to take action, bear fruit, Right? Consistent uh, of repentance. What, what is it then? What is it that we should do? Well, John gives him an example here. Basically, he says, first of all, be generous and not selfish. Be generous and not selfish. If you have a coat, if you have two coats, two tunics, share with the guy who doesn't. Do the same thing with food. If you get food, someone else doesn't have food, then give away the food. Be generous. Don't be selfish. That will show that you're turning to God. And then in verse 12, it says, Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Now back then, the tax collectors, the IRS of that day, uh, they were these, these Jewish guys. And they were hated because it was, it was a Roman tax, and the Jews didn't like the oppression and rule of Rome, and they thought these guys were traitors. But on top of that, the tax collectors... They, they were crooks. They would, they would charge more money than, than the authorized taxes, than what they were supposed to take, and they would pocket those extra taxes. So John is telling him, look, you know what? You want to show repentance? Then don't take more than you should take. So he, so he tells them, be honest, not greedy, secondly. Be honest and not greedy. Then we see in verse 14, our last verse, soldiers also asked him, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations and be content with your wages. So the soldiers here now, most, most scholars and commentators believe that these guys are um, actually Jewish like policemen. They, they are like armed, they, maybe they help out Herod guys, or, or they're the temple police in that sense. But basically, John the Baptist is saying, be upstanding and not abusive, right? Don't extort people. Don't use your authority, you know, uh, to give false witness, to get them to give you things. You know, be content with what you're given in your, in your wages, so you see, in all of this, John's message was a call for true repentance that was evidenced by true action, showing that they really are repentant before God. John Blanchard said, Repentance is not an idea, it is an action. We do something. We take action in that way. So our last point is this, John's message was a call to true repentance by making true changes in how you live your life. That's what his message was. Repent. Repent here. 
Be forgiven. And you know how you do that? Bearing fruits of repentance. It was a call to true repentance by making true changes in how you live your life. I read about this um, children's church, this Keiki church teacher who asked the Keiki in the class, they, he, asked, he asked them, what does repentance mean? Well, one boy said, it's being sorry for your sins. And the teacher's like, well, that's good. And then another little girl raised her hand and said, it's being sorry enough to stop. I like that answer. That's what it's about. That's taking the, an, uh, taking the action of repentance. The, the, there was so much hypocritical talk back then that John was calling to people to not just talk a talk, but truly walk the talk, to truly repent from the heart. It was a call to true repentance by making true changes in how you live your life. Listen, there's a difference, right, between being sorry for your sin or having remorse and repentance, right? It's like um, I always think about, say, there's two guys and they both get stopped for speeding. And, and, And one guy, he gets stopped for speeding and he's sorry, he's having remorse. But you know what he's sorry about? He got caught. Because what he does after that, he, after he gets his ticket, he's going to be on watch more for, for the cars, right? He's going to be on watch more for, for the motorcycle cop there. And he's going to buy the radar detector to make sure he doesn't get caught. But the second guy who's repentant of getting a speeding ticket stops driving fast, <laughs> drives the speed limit. Romans 13 obeys the law of the land. So you see... Which one is bearing fruit of repentance? The guy who is truly repented and takes action, changes his life. So the question is, which one are you? Are you just sorry for what you did, remorseful? Or are you truly repented? And are you sorry you got caught? Or are you really truly wanting to change your life and be repented before God? You know... To be truly repentive is hard. Sometimes it could be painful. Sometimes it, 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 it will take effort. But if we really want to follow God, then we're going to do something about it. I believe tonight that God wants to go deeper in each one of our lives. And when I say deeper, I'm not just talking about being closer, but deeper and rooting out sin. You know, I remember sometimes talking to guys, you know, Oh, the easy part was when God delivered me from drinking or God delivered me, you know, from from addiction and all. The harder part is when he goes deeper, when he deals with my temper problem or when he deals with with my lust problem, when he deals with the inside of my, with greed or things like that, of being sneaky, yeah? That's going deeper and I believe God is calling you. As John the Baptist is that voice in that wilderness, so is Jesus in the voice in that wilderness in those areas in our heart that he wants us to repent. So will you turn from those sins? Let God search your heart tonight. You know what I'm talking about. He's been speaking to you. He's been reaching down to you. Do you hear him knocking? I read about two little girls, and I'll close with this. They're looking at a picture of Christ knocking at the door, like it says in Revelation 3.20. And one asked the other, why don't they let him in? The other little girl replied, maybe they're down in the basement and they can't hear him. 
Well, are you down in the basement hiding out with your sin inside your heart? You know what? God is calling you and he's in that wilderness. He's in that basement even calling with his voice trying to get you to repent. And you know what? Think about it this way. We have to deal with those things before we can be that voice in this world. So deal with that now. Do not let those things just go on anymore. We are living in a critical time, you guys. Things are changing in our world. Christ is coming soon. And people need Jesus. Don't get caught up in your own selfishness with your sin. Repent of it. Confess. Go to Jesus. Be forgiven. And hear that loving call so you can be a loving call for others. You can be the voice in the wilderness too. Let's pray. Lord God, we know that only your name can save us, Lord. Only your name can free us, Lord. It's your name that we find forgiveness, God. It's your name, Lord, that delivers us of our sin, Lord. Just at the end of Romans 7, who can free us, Lord? It's Jesus, Jesus. And so, God, I call out to you tonight that you would, Lord, free us, that we would be serious with you, Lord, that we would call upon you and your name and that you would come and free us tonight, Jesus. So as we close here, as we sing this last song, God, may it be our prayer to you, may it be our worship, and may you truly free us from our sins. Forgive us, Lord, and help us to find victory, Lord, that we may be, for you, a voice in the wilderness of this world. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship the Lord.